Welcome to Just Push Play. We talk to musicians, authors, and music industry professionals discussing everything that rocks. Here's your host, Sherry. Today's guest is Jim Santora Jr., author of the book Underrated Rock Book, The 200 Most Overlooked Albums, 1970 to 2015. So, Jim, thank you so much for joining me on my show. Oh, it's uh, great to be here, Sherry. Uh, I always enjoy talking about the book, so um, so it's great to be here. Yeah, even though it's a uh, it just turned one. <laughs> your your baby just turned one uh, about a month yes, ago. It so <laughs> it's still nice to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it, it's it's a it's a. I I when I first put this book together, one of the ideas was that I wanted to have something where it was a where it was a talking piece, where. People could read it or pass it around and, and have discussions, and, 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 and that's actually kind of served its purpose. And, uh, and I always like talking about music in general, uh, so the book definitely gives me um, a, a, lot of, a lot of things to talk about within the book, so it, it's, it's, it's great to come on shows. And yes, it is, it is just turned one years old, so um, it's... Uh, it, it it's it's been good. I, I've been uh, I, I guess uh, for lack of a better word, I guess I've been uh, I've been blessed with uh, a lot of positive uh, feedback in the last year, and uh, and uh, so it's um, it's it's been a very positive experience. Yeah, I mean I reviewed it on my blog, uh, Read Rock Repeat, uh, quite a while ago. Actually, pretty quickly after it was released um, because I always look for books that are like focused on music and, and this one really caught my eye and after reading it um, and reviewing it I think I sent you a list of like 8,000 <laughs> <laughs> albums for you to look at well you know actually it was great but that was actually like kind of the idea uh, and of course and I appreciate the the review you had given uh, of the book and and also uh, and and I also appreciate you know the, even though you, you enjoyed the book but there were some some parts that you know you kind of critiqued on and and one in particular was uh how you had felt that there was probably a lack of some female artists uh in the book <laughs> and I definitely yeah. had to take it I definitely took a step back and said, you know what, there's, there is some truth to that. And not that I did anything on purpose, because obviously there is uh, quite a few uh, female artists that are in the book, but made me look at like, hey, you know what, who, who are some of the other artists that I could have put in the book? And then, then of course, you had provided me a list of your 8,000 other titles. And of course, we're exaggerating <laughs> here, but, uh, but you, yeah. had, you, had a great, you had a great list of artists that, um, you know, that I, that I looked through and then started listening to some of those artists as well. Some that I knew, some that I was not familiar with. And, and, um, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a great list. And uh, I'm still, I still, I, you know, cause there's other people that have sent me lists and, uh, because there is uh talk of a sequel. And so I've been doing my research. So, so your list was definitely one of those, 
that I I've been going back to a lot to uh, you know to to look at those as well. Oh geez, shucks, thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I but but a lot of it. I mean, we'll get back to the book, but I I I guess I'm parroting. Um, someone who uh, you were just recently on another show and and I'm going to say that our our lives are pretty much parallel in in the way that um we started out um like yourself I went to college and my um my major was radio television so um it wasn't journalism but I did take a lot of courses in journalism so but um I did start out at the college radio station and then um started writing for publications and um and then did like the whole uh terrestrial and internet radio shows and then the podcasting and and I'm actually like fiddling around with with some books myself but I haven't really gotten <laughs> had the concentration or time to do it so <laughs> so I'm like you know in in that process of like uh do, what what do I really want to do so um, I think this show is is a good uh, uh, way to you know get the word out about music and and books and mm-hmm. and different cool things about music. So um, you know, I, as far as uh, that is concerned, I mean, it it sounds like you've had a love of music pretty much out of the womb, <laughs> like mm-hmm. myself. Am yeah. I right? Yeah, I mean, it, it really goes. I mean, it really starts off at a, at a young age that I was, you know, that I was exposed to music, and not that like my parents were musicians or anything like that because they weren't. Um, but it was it was very interesting. Um, my parents had a very um, varied taste. Um, so as a as a kid and just kind of getting into forty fives, like in elementary school and 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 things like that, just kind of rummaging through their collections of albums and eight tracks it's you know in 45s i mean it was a collection of uh, my mom grew up in california so there was a bunch of surf rock uh that i got Mm -hmm. exposed to early on so you know everything from the beach boys to dick uh, dick dale jan and dean i mean it starts there and then on my on my dad was more in the country music, so it was like Roy Clark and Freddie Fender and the Kendalls and the Oak Ridge Boys. So it, we were, it was kind of all over the place. And then eight tracks, um, you know, Chicago and early Elton John and, and Bay City Rollers and that kind of stuff. And, and really, that was kind of what kind of got me into music. And the radio was always on and uh, eventually, once I started to acquire my own taste, um, I, I mentioned in the book um, that, you know, one of the first records that I got into that actually got me into, like, rock or hard rock was Kiss Destroyer, which I had gotten as a uh, gift, as a Christmas gift. Um, and I was probably about seven, eight years old at the time. Um, but then, you know, as my taste continued, it was, you know, it was, it was primarily hard rock and classic rock, uh, got into new wave uh a little bit and still stuck around like, you know, top 40 was there. So I was listening to a lot of that. But when I got into college, things really changed because I, I really didn't know I was in, a, I was in community college. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And there was a community, there was a, there was a, you know, college radio station uh, on campus and it was so 
eclectic with so many different styles of music and a lot of bands that I didn't, I never heard of. Um, and I wasn't really exposed to a lot of punk rock other than what was, you know, popular. Um, so punk rock was a big thing and a lot of the, uh, underground alternative type rock and even the hard rock and metal, there were, uh, plenty of bands there that I got into and, and kind of brought me into the nineties. And when all that grunge explosion, the thing I always talk about, uh, with people and, and even friends that remember that when all those bands broke in the nineties, I was already listening to a lot of those bands three or four years before they, they broke mm -hmm. big. So um, so, th so it kind of started there, but yeah, I, I kind of did the whole, um, once I got into community college and decided that I wanted to kind of get in involved in radio, it kind of got more into communications journalism. Um, um, and then I kind of, you know, I kind of dabble in some stuff, did some stuff for some music magazines, a couple newspapers, um, did the, uh, did a little bit of terrestrial radio. I did some stuff on an AM station in the late nineties. Um, and then kind of got involved in the internet radio piece and then kind of been doing that, was doing that off and on, um, had my own station and my own show till about 2015. And that's kind of where, well, what was the next step? And that's where the book kind of came in. Cause I was like, I have all this music that I've been exposed to during all this time. And so that was kind of like, and then I kind of said, well, if I'm going to write a book about music, what am I going to write about? And that's when, it started to click that I was exposed to all this other music that either was overlooked or unknown or undervalued or uh, underappreciated or basically underrated. And um, so that's how the collection of the 200 most overlooked albums uh, became a thing. Uh -huh. Well, you, you know, I, I read the book and I loved it and I like cheered at some of them, like, <laughs> Because you know they they were they were bands that I was like really heavily into um, back in the '90s too that I was exposed to with um, writing and also being a DJ too because you know as as a DJ you get stuff sent to you all the time and as a writer you get st sent stuff to you all the time so um, or people tell you about a band they request it to hear it and you're like oh wait <laughs> who's that you know so. Um, mm -hmm. You're always discovering, and you know, just going. I I probably went to a lot of the the same clubs that you went to. In, I lived in Pennsylvania at the time, but I uh, did a lot of like coverage of of concerts and and like uh, not Atlantic City per se um, or that area, but like um, I went to a lot of shows at the Birchell nightclub and. Um, Stone Pony and um, a mm -hmm. lot yeah. in North Jersey, like the Cricket Club and uh, Studio One in, in Newark area. And so, you right. know, I was exposed to a lot of different bands there. And, and there was a club called Bonnie's Rocks that I used to go to in Echo um, that, <laughs> that used to... <laughs> So you're laughing. So you probably have been. There. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> laughing because that because I I, I grew up in I grew up in a town uh, uh, Hamilton, New Jersey, which was literally right down the road from Atco. So mm -hmm. so it was it was it was a pretty quick drive to get the get the Bonnies. I didn't really get there too too many times. Um, mm -hmm. You know, kind of upset like you know to find out like bands like White Zombie had played there and stuff, and you know, unfortunately, never got the opportunity to see them when um, you know before they got they got big. Um, 
But you used to go and see, like, you could go and see shows. Like, uh, there was places in, like, Brigantine, Atlantic City area. Uh, there was a place called Crilly Circle Tavern. You used to go there and see, like, Ace Fraley used to come down and do shows down there, for example. Um, all the Philly spots, uh, you know, the Trocadero, the TLA, um, yeah. were always big with, with shows and stuff. So so those were kind of the places to go. There was even some one-off shows um, there was a convention center. I want to say it's in Pensacola, and I think it got converted into a church today. But back in the early 90s, uh, when the um, Offspring, uh, when Smash came out, before it got super huge, and I think I, I think um, it's when um, I'm trying to think of the name of that song that you know the first song that kind of broke them. Um, but they were headlining a concert at this place, and, and maybe there was 300 people at at this, mm-hmm. at this little show with a bunch of no-name bands, and here was The Offspring, and it was just before, like, that album pretty much just got released, but and then it kind of took off after that, you know, because then, you know, then it became, you know, they, they sell 8 million records, and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a big deal, but I saw them when they were just playing a small club, so, so there was a lot of, there was a lot of stuff in, uh, in the, in the area, in South Jersey and Philadelphia, um, that you could, that you could go to, uh, City Gardens in Trenton was another one, yeah, um, yeah, that you can go to, so, yeah, but there were a lot of opener openers that you know morphed into like regional and, and national bands. Um, one in particular that I really was happy to see in the book was Child's Play Rat Race. Uh, they were, and and they still remain one of my favorite bands ever. So, um, you know, uh, why did you choose them? You know, the interesting thing with um, child with Child's Play, which you know, and I remembered them. Very Vaguely, you know, at the time that they came out in that late 80s, early 90s. Um, so I, I knew who they were, and I kind of, and it was funny when I was kind of putting the book together, um, they had one of their early bass players, and his name um, does not, and I don't even think he was even on the initial uh, Rat Race album. So he was a bass player like before they were like on the label. And my, um, my wife, we were actually at a conference in San Diego, and my my wife's at this conference, and she goes to me and she says, "Have you ever heard the band Childs play?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember them. They were from like late '80s, '90s." And so this guy that was, um, he was doing uh, some sort of a presentation there. He was like some big CEO for some company or something. And here he shows a picture of himself playing bass with child with Childs play. Like he was the original bass player has the whole 80s get up with the big hair and stuff and then here's he standing there like all with like the suit and tie guy now and he's like a big ceo and um so when she was telling me this i was like you know i gotta really go back and and check these guys out again just just to kind of listen to it and it was just you know when i'm i'm going through there and it was just you know such you know there's a time in that late 80s 90s period where obviously everything's kind of gone glam, but there's so many bands that kind of went for more of a, a raw hard rock type sound. And, and they were one of those bands that, that had that almost like, you know, kind of like, uh, like uh, child's play. And I want to say like bands like, uh, like junkyard and even like LA guns. If you're, if we're looking for like a more popular type band bands that were kind of more, away from, and I don't really want to say Guns N' Roses because obviously they were like way over the top of that stuff, but but kind of that raw, 
in your face, hard rock sound, not a lot of glossy type over it. Um, they almost, they also kind of, to me, kind of had a little bit of a southern rock tinge um, to their to their stuff. But they their their vocals were great. And then you know, again, songs like "Good Old Rock and Roll" and "Damned If I Do." Um, they were just a solid. They were just a solid band, and unfortunately, they were a band that really didn't get. And and that's one of the things when you attribute it to the book, they didn't really get their due. And part of that could be because they were towards the end of what was considered a, a glam era. That you know everything's kind of changing because you got to figure by ninety ninety one. Um, you know, thrash metal is kind of big, but then here comes Alice in Chains. Here comes some of the other alternative bands before Nirvana breaks, um, and that kind of changes the whole landscape of of all these bands. And and there's a lot of them to choose from in this book that I that I capture. And when you look at some of them, they are from that time period, somewhere between like '88 and '91. And and Child's Play was a was a perfect perfect fit for that. And I was glad I got a chance to go back and and revisit them because and that's the other thing too there were a lot of bands that made this made this list where i went back and re-listened because like maybe i remembered a song or maybe i remembered them just by name and like yeah you know maybe i mean i should check them out again because I, I remember them but you know and there's plenty of them that i kind of passed aside but a band like you know child's play for example was one that you know definitely caught my attention um and, and that's how a lot of stuff in the book um i always tell people that the first hundred albums that were in this book were probably the easiest ones to put together um, because they were the ones that were already in my head to say, yes, this one, uh, you know, I can sit there and run, run through the whole line and sit there and say like, you know, cheap tricks all shook up and on the third day from electrified orchestra and uh, our lady peace, spiritual machines. These are all layups as far as ones that I would say would definitely go in. But then you know, I go through the list and like, you know, with a, you know, with a child's play, there's, you know, there's, there's other bands that kind of go through here, like a Magna Pop or uh, a Lillian Axe, for example, um, mm -hmm. that, you know, that some band, some people may know and some people may sit there and like, man, I've never, I've never heard of them. And, and that's, you know, and that's kind of, you know, because obviously if, you've listened to what's on the radio and you've listened and you've seen what's on primarily on MTV at the time, you know, there's, you know, it's hard to capture everything. And, and we were, like we said, we were talking like me and you were like in a parallel universe because we got exposed to a lot of these different bands because being in the college radio stations, you could, you could get access to so much different music that was coming in. And all these labels were sending stuff, whether it was an independent label or a major label, they were always sending out stuff. So, so it was very cool to sit there and say, you know, hey, here's a Lillian Axe record, or here's a Child's Play record, or here's a Cats and Boots record, um, you know, and you're mixing in that stuff with what's, you know, the latest Motley Crue or Cinderella, and, yeah. and you know, just cranking every, everything up. And, uh, and that was the cool thing, because we used to get to mix in all these different all these different bands that people didn't know, and maybe it hit somebody else's ears to sit there and say, "Hey, those guys are those guys are pretty good." And that's what this book also does, because it makes other people go, "Man, I, I, I remember those guys. Those guys were pretty cool." And then they go and go back and listen to it, and they just relive stuff that you know, you know, twenty, thirty, forty years later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and 
in the book, there's obvious like um, heavy hitters like Cheap Trick and and Aerosmith and stuff like that. But but you chose albums that have songs on them that you know maybe were unappreciated or or mm-hmm. never really uh, exposed. So that that's a really cool thing about the book too. Yeah, it's it's um it, it was one of those things, and again, early on when you're when you're a fan of certain bands, like uh, obviously, um, you know, a band like Cheap Trick, for example, is one of my favorite bands of all time. It's one of the first bands that I got got into. Dream, uh, Dream Police was the first album that I ever owned, um, mm-hmm. and I still remember, I still remember when uh, and All Shook Up, which actually just got released. I want to say it was within a couple days ago or la- early or late last week. It was uh it was on its official release uh, on on this day or you know whatever day it was in in October, but I still remember, you know, begging my mom because at the time I'm I'm probably about fifth sixth grade I can't drive to the mall, and you know obviously there's no Amazon back back in our day but I like I remember begging my mother to like yeah I gotta go get this album I gotta get this album and you know I was blown away by, by this album and and. You know, as I got older, you start hearing the stories about the album All Shook Up. It it wasn't a very popular album. People kind of didn't get it, but they also you got to kind of look at the um, the time frame that they were kind of going with. Um, you know, especially with uh, when they kind of got when they blew up with that Budokan, they already had Dream Police all ready to go and ready to be released. And then that got pushed out a year because they decided to release Budokan um, in the States. And then that, that got huge. So then the Dream Police album didn't come out for another year. And in the meantime, you know, here they come up with All Shook Up and, you know, they're, they're you know, they're, um, they, they just wanted to kind of, you know, one thing that I always liked about Cheap Trick is that they, they they never compromised what they wanted to do. They always wanted to kind of push the envelope. They always wanted to try and do something different. And you can tell that with every album outside of Budokan. You go to your first record, the first record and the second record in color sound completely different. You go to Heaven Tonight, it's got a different feel. Dream Police, different feel. All shook up the same the same thing. Um you know, they had Sir George Martin handling controls. He was doing stuff, you know, he was all doing all the stuff for all those Beatles records all that time. And, um, you know, they, they, they kind of went for it, and unfortunately people didn't quite get it, and it kind of derailed the band a little bit into the 80s until Lap of Luxury in 1988, uh, which, of course, uh, you know, they put out the flame, and that becomes a number one hit. But, um, you know, it, it, it's still one of those albums that, Today, I can listen to it. I can listen to every single song, and I think every single song is tremendous on there. I mean, I mean, they got a great collection of stuff, but uh, it's always a go-to album to me. But it's it's but I know it's not a go-to album for every Cheap Trick fan and the casual and the casual fan that likes "I Want You to Want Me" and "The Flame" and and maybe "Surrender" uh, won't get that album at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! Another artist in the book that that you mentioned that I still consider underrated, and he puts out some of the best stuff. 
he just has so much swagger and attitude, and he's like, you know, in your face. It's Danko Jones. I love him, and I'm so glad that you mentioned him. He still consistently puts out awesome music, and and he's still underrated as far as I'm concerned. I I think he should be way bigger than, than what he is. Yeah, and, and you know it's it's um it's a it's it's a very strange case for for an artist like Danko Jones because they they are just a super cool band. I've gotten the opportunity to see him twice. I've seen him in a small I've seen him in a small club uh, headlining, and I've seen him open up for Volby. And and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what the audience is or the size of the uh, location they're playing. They do the same show, and they're and they're super cool, and they're cranking up tune after tune, and and, and they're just such an amazing live band, and 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 they're just so unappreciated as a band when you put out all these albums. And I think the first, and actually when I, uh, I still remember like when I first uh, first heard them, uh, and of course uh, first Kiss was the was the first. Um, well, First Kiss was the first song that I ever heard from them, and it actually had gotten some radio play on one rock station that was in the Philadelphia area at that particular time. But then I never really heard anything after that until um, Full of Regret, which I think is that the below is that Below the Belt album. Yeah, I want to yeah. say, yeah. So that's off Below the Belt, and then I was listening to a bunch of stuff. But after that, I really didn't know any of the other material that they had done. So all of a sudden I started going back and I was buying all, I was buying all these different Danko Jones albums just to kind of get a listen and, and going online. And, uh, you know, when YouTube was really starting to get in, you know, started checking out all these Danko Jones videos that were out there. And, and so never too loud, which came out in 2008 was the, was a record that um, made the book. And just, you know, and, and the one cool thing that I liked about like this, like, you know, they had like, they had like straight up hard rockers, like Code of the Road. And then they had like a little sing-along stuff like Take Me Home, which is one of my favorite songs from Danko Jones. And it's just a different take. Like, you know, they kind of got this feel like they're, like they're almost like, a, definitely like a motorhead type influence but then also know how to kind of change the style a little bit to, to kind of keep people guessing just a little bit. But they're, they're known for that hard-driving, you know, three-piece, uh, just straight-up hard rock sound. And, 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 and definitely, as you said, the swagger. Um, definitely they, they, have that, they have that going on, and they are, um, they, are an under, they are truly an underrated band. That's what I put at the last part here, a truly underrated band. Indeed is my last sentence when I put that review for that record. But yeah, they got so much great stuff, and um, you know they continue to still release stuff. Um, it's just it's just a yeah. shame that uh, you know when you listen to the radio, um, you know maybe uh, more if we lived in Canada we'd have a different thought process because I'm sure they're uh, a lot more popular in Canada and in Europe. But um, in the United States, they uh, they don't get they don't get a whole lot of love. There's a lot of there's some fans out there, but I don't think they get uh, as much uh, as much love as they uh, deserve as a as a band. Yeah, 
Yeah, agreed, agreed. And and you have like some real like gems in there. Like if you're like a hard rock fan or or even a rock fan, like of course you're gonna see King's X because they're just like another three piece that's like a <laughs> mind blowing and amazing. And like Badlands, a self titled album from them that was was also like excellent. And yes. you know, and like you have like other other ones that you probably got panned about, like uh, Run DMC and Duran Duran and Kelly Clarkson and Billy Squire. But you know what? I have to say that they all rock too. <laughs> Billy Squire yeah. has got to be like one of the best live shows that I've ever seen, and he's just a great entertainer. Like I don't care about the stroke video. Like who cares? Yeah. <laughs> There's so yeah. much more to him than that. <laughs> yeah, you know it's uh, and, and kind of going back to some of the other bands you mentioned, and, and, and King's X is another band for me that when I was doing a college radio thing, that's how I got introduced to King's X. Um, and, and a lot of times you just look at you. Sometimes you got to look at like you look at the album cover. I still remember like Out of the Silent Planet comes out. I'm looking at the album cover, and I'm like, oh, this seems kind of cool. And then you turn it over, and here's, like, these guys wearing, like, these psychedelic-type jackets. Doug Pinnock's got, like, this, you know, fro mohawk thing going. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, he kind of looks like Jimi Hendrix. And you're, like, you're sitting there thinking, like, well, these guys kind of, they look pretty cool. They have a pretty cool look. And then you listen to them, and it's like, the music is fabulous. And, you know, Ear Candy makes the list here. I mean, I could go on with any King's X record, but... But Ear Candy kind of does it for me because it, it really is, a, in my opinion, it's an album that kind of covers all their kind of styles. It's kind of the end of that major label era that they had when they were with Atlantic, um, you know, and, and Megaforce, of course. But, um, you know, that kind of like came, that was like that first phase that kind of kind of came to a close. But they were, they're such a tremendous band. And I've seen that band. Actually, I just actually saw them uh, about a month and a half ago. Uh, live, they were playing at at a uh, place called the Queen in uh, Wilmington, Delaware, and um, you know, just so great to see these guys because they're fabulous musicians. Um, and uh, segue over to the Badlands album. That's actually an album that so many people, when I was looking at uh, going to different circles and kind of getting some feedback of like, what do you think is an underrated album? And there's so many people that sat there and said that first Badlands album, and it's like. You know, there are a few albums that you sit there and go, it's a no, it's a no-brainer that that would have to make that that would have to make the book, uh, only because of how many people definitely say it without you even really mentioning them, and uh, it's it's a real testament. I mean, it's like you know, you know, Jakey e. Lee, you know, he's he's he was Ozzy Osbourne's guitarist. He comes and he basically puts together a uh, basically a super, a super group when you, when you really look at it. Um, and, um, you know, Ray Gillen's a tremendous vocalist and, you know, they had Eric Singer who now is mm-hmm. a drummer for Kiss. So, you know, the, the talent pool was definitely, they weren't short on that. Um, it's just that for whatever reason, again, another band, another band we didn't mention when we were talking about Child's Play, but Badlands definitely falls in that same gap, late eighties, um, you know, you would have thought um, they would have had because they were slightly different style, not necessarily, I mean, yeah, maybe that glam stuff, but they definitely had some sort of a southern rock vibe in there as well, or a bluesy vibe, which was which was very cool. Um, 
and, and but still people still talk about that record being such a such a great record um you know especially uh, uh winner's call which is always uh one of my favorite uh records um and going back to some of the ones you were saying about the artists that kind of i may have gotten some slack for which nobody's ever really said it like um you know the run dmc one is an interesting one and and i i would, you know and it kind of brings me to the conversation when I start looking at, like, the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And mm-hmm. I go to rock sites, and people are just dogging the rap and the pop artist kind of, you know, where it's like, you know, I think it's like uh, who's like Biggie Smalls is, like, uh, up for uh, nomination this year and Whitney Houston. And it's like, you know, and they're all, like, people are just like, uh, oh, well, you know, they're not rock and roll, but, you know, you sit there and, like, a band like Run DMC, really, even before the Aerosmith piece, if you really listen to Aerosmith's music or, or the, ba- the music they were using as backing tracks, um, it was a lot of rock. It was a lot of rock-oriented, rock riffs, um, maybe not necessarily, um, you know, I can't really pinpoint too many actual songs, but it was very cool when they when they uh, released that album, uh, Crown Royal, that you know they had so many artists that were basically fans of Run DMC. So why wouldn't they want to jump in and do stuff with that band? So whether it was a Limp Biscuit or uh, you know um, trying to think of the uh, the other. Um, People that were in there off the top of my head. Uh, Stephen Jenkins from Third Eye Blind, for example. Uh, Everlast, Kid Rock, um, Sugar Ray. So, you know, it, it was kind of more of a tribute album to a band that really kind of was the first real rap band, I would say, that kind of transcended into, you know, some rock. Public Enemy did it. Obviously, we know the Beastie Boys did it. Um, a little more because the Beastie Boys actually were kind of a punk band and being in that New York City, New York City scene, a lot of the punk and hardcore bands and the rap bands, you know, a lot of people don't understand that, that they really all got along with each other. So, which was why you had like a public enemy and an anthrax and, you know, uh, biohazard and onyx doing stuff together. So, you know, there was always that kind of, that kind of a fit there. Um, but a lot of people don't understand that. And, um, but there's people that get it, and the people that get it, you know, do realize that there is uh, a place where these, you know, because obviously with, even with like the rap, what would have been rap metal and then eventually new metal, which incorporated a lot of the rap uh, stylings uh, into a lot of those, in a lot of, the, a lot of that music, um, is attributed to a lot of those early bands. And, and Run DMC is, you know, they, they, call them the, they call themselves the kings of rock. And and they they were they were definitely they were definitely that I was always I was always a fan, um, you know. And one of I was wasn't always a big um, rap fan, but I did appreciate rap artists and rap artists like uh, like a uh, Run DMC or a Public Enemy, for example, uh, definitely stand out in, in Beastie Boys too because of the rock elements um, that they had in in their songs in their you know in the different things that they delivered. Um, you mentioned Billy Squire, and I love Billy Squire. And Billy Squire, um, he kind of, you know, the thing is, he was a really good songwriter. 
and mm-hmm. there were so many great songs that he wrote. And I, I know you mentioned that I, he he got flack for I want to say it was the Rock Me Tonight uh, video and MTV. Yeah, Rock Me and, Tonight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and to be honest, I never understood what the whole big deal was. Like, you know, what Me was neither. he wearing? A it was what was it? A scarf, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I don't remember the scarf or he was wearing a pink shirt or something. So, something you know, something so stupid that, you know, yeah. people made a big deal about it. And then all of a sudden his all of a sudden his career like kind of takes a nosedive, you know, which which was really wasn't fair, um, to him because you know, when you really look at, at those albums and I had those albums, you know, Don't Say No is a great album, Emotions Emotion, uh Signs of Life, which is when uh, that that whole thing happens. Um, that's a great that's a great record, and and people don't really, you know. Then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, nobody likes Billy Squire anymore, and it's like, well, why, you know? And then and so, you know, the Here and Now record it comes out in the late, you know, comes out in '89. Um, you know, and, and that's about time where a lot of those bands that were like the early late '70s, early '80s bands that got real popular by by the time the late '80s come. A lot of them have kind of hit their stride, you know, kind of like the, you know, the Foreigners and Kansas and Triumph and all these bands and Billy Squires in there too. Pat Benatar kind of falls into that that mold as well. Um, they all kind of start hitting the skids towards the late '80s, and you know, because you know people are listening again more. You know, it's more like the Guns N' Roses and the Skid Rows are starting to you know kind of take over during that time. But the Here and Now album from Billy Squire is is an excellent record. Um, my, one of my favorite songs. He has he has a ballad called Don't Let Me Go, which is one of my favorite Billy Squire songs, and it's probably a song that most people would never have heard of. If they, maybe if they have like his greatest hits, because um, uh-huh. I'm sure most people stop most people stop listening to Billy Squire after about 1986. Is is the way I look at it. But um, but he's got a legion of fans. Um, the other song, "Don't Say You Love Me," was a really was a really good song on there, um, mm-hmm. which was I think one of his bigger. What was one? Of, I think it was his one main radio hit that he had that actually kind of, you know, went and and did some stuff on the rock charts. Um, rock out, punch somebody. You know, it's just a big like you know thumping groove type type song. Um, but he was a great songwriter, and and really he kind of fell into the 90s he kind of drifted off he really doesn't do a whole lot of stuff now but um he's got a great collection of music um and even though he had some success i think he is very uh he's very underappreciated i think as a whole uh compared to some other some other artists from his time yeah i mean a lot of people don't know that he actually worked with john lennon in um his uh, final years, and also, um, I mean, I saw him open for Bad Company and Sticks in uh, Pennsylvania uh, a few years ago, and what a great live uh, live performer he is. I mean, he just, like, rails on the guitar and, and great vocalist, and he was even touring with uh, Ringo Starr for a while, which I saw that show, too, okay. and that was amazing yeah, as, re- as well. I- I do remember that. I remember he was in uh, Ring, Ringo Starr has that um, was that that All Star band, and I think yeah, yeah, Billy Squire, Billy Squire was a part of that. I do re- I do remember that. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting with like John Lennon stuff. You mentioned Billy Squire and and Rick Nielsen and Bunny Carlos with Cheap Trick also um, did some work with uh, John Lennon as well. 
um, mm-hmm. you know, because partly on the dub- double fantasy record, um, they they were involved in that. Um, but but it was very cool that you know that so, so many of these artists, they, a lot of people don't realize all the stuff that some artists do with with other artists. Um, you know, so um, and and really all the things that they do, you know, especially some of the ones like from the '60s and '70s. You know, where, you know, they kind of bounced around and, you know, were either studio musicians or songwriters until they found their niche, you know, or were in bands and stuff. And that's the kind of the cool part. And that's that's the other cool part you see when you're when you're kind of going through some of these uh, some of these albums and some of the stories um, that that come in, you know, from the different bands, because even stuff you did, you kind of go back and you're like, wow, I didn't I didn't realize that. You know, like, like kind of yeah. like, oh, wow, you know, so there's some of those wow moments that were out there, so. Yeah, like there there was uh, recently people were amazed to hear that Huey Lewis uh, worked with uh, Phil Lynott from Thin Lizzy, and it's like, <laughs> what? Do you didn't know that? Like, it, you know, or, like it, uh, what's that? The other one, and I was just, te- I was just telling um, somebody that, like, uh, Thomas Dolby, the uh-huh. you know from like um uh, that he played keyboards on um uh, waiting for a girl like you from foreigner and a lot of people yeah. don't a lot of people don't know that and that's before and that's before he you know kind of got uh you know he kind of got famous um with his uh blinded blinded me with science that was like you know but that he did that with foreigner before before that mm-hmm. yeah and like uh, like uh, Steve Lukather from Toto, like the the amount of music that he's worked on, the the catalog that he's you know been on is like just <laughs> outrageous to <laughs> to yeah. like even mm-hmm. fathom. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know you, you find these things out just by researching and looking. So after the book was released. Um, did you uh, get any surprises from any of the bands that you mentioned? You know, the cool the cool thing about um, when I was putting the book together uh, was I was going and reaching out to different to different artists. I tried to reach out to as many as I could, you know, whether it was through their uh, press or their, you know, some still have agents and some you can just go and just shoot them emails. Um, and what was kind of what was cool was um you know like bands like driving and crying for example were like whatever whatever you need here's here's all these photos if you can use them you know put them in um you know and and we had bands like you know not not really too many of the like bigger names um but like 5440 from Canada like you know they they were really a, pre- a lot of bands were really appreciative of being in the book, a uh, band I mentioned, Magna Pop earlier. They were uh, another band that was really into it. Um, the band Mass, um, they were from New England. They had a, they had a, uh, they're in the book with an album called New Birth. Um, uh, their singer Louis Saint August um, actually had reached out to me and um, had you know said, hey, you know, you need photo, you need a photo, I'll hook you up, um, you know that kind of stuff. I had different guys from like. The Killer Dwarfs and the Knack, um, you know, all kind of reach out, and it was very cool to to have different people that you know really like appreciated that somebody was even thinking about them to be put, you know, to be put in this book. That you know, wow, that's really cool, and you know, and 
you know, it, not necessarily that I could obviously throw a bunch of hard paperback copies at people, but, you know, I made sure that, hey, electronic copies for everybody to, you know, um, and they were very cool. And a lot of them actually helped spread the word out, too, that they were going to be a part of this book. And, um, and, and that, was, that, was the, that was the cool part about putting the book together, that there were people that truly appreciated that they were going to be a part of the book. And I think that was a very rewarding thing because, you know, as a musician, and, I, and I've, I've played in a few bands myself, that, you know, it's, there is a lot of appreciation that, as an artist, that people, you know, come to you and say, you know, hey, you know, not just so much, hey, we love you, this is great, but just the part where they sit there and say, um, you know, hey, I really, I really enjoy that one song, uh, you know, because of, you know, because, hey, it made me uh, think about a friend of mine that passed away, you know, it was kind of sad, but that song kind of, you know, kind of made me feel, you know, feel better about the whole situation. I mean, those, those are the kind of things that I think as a musician, a lot of them really get into, you know, and, and I think, you know, they could have millions of fans, but at the end of the day, you know, to get listed in a book that's talking about albums that maybe were not really a fan favorite or people didn't really get. Um, I think that, that kind of, you know, that kind of makes them look at stuff and say, Hey, you know what? Somebody out there gets it. And that's, and that's where I think that, you know, that that comes in and, and, and uh, you know, these artists show their appreciation, you know, for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, as you mentioned in the book, like it's, it's your list. It's not, you know, it, which, um, you know, may cause uh, discussion amongst music lovers or, you know, or people uh, who, who you know, have an opinion on, on their favorite underrated uh, albums as well. So, but, you know, there's so much music out there. Of course, your 200 isn't going to be someone else's 200 if they even know 200, you know. So, right. So, you know, being in the business that we are, we're we're exposed to a lot more. So yeah, there are going to probably be about like 500 that people haven't heard of that <laughs> that we want to get the yeah. word out and, about. And 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 that was where the cool thing, like like we talked about your list, and and I had different, I had different people, you know, later on, you know, present me with different lists, or hey, they read the book and say, hey, there's a couple you should check out. You know, and they would send me a list of some just to, you know, because, you know, and obviously I, I always talk that, you know, there's a second edition, and there will be a second edition. I just haven't initially, um, the the idea is to come up with my 200, my next 200 albums first, because a lot of the stuff when I was writing, I was still researching and writing, and this time I kind of focused on more all research first get my 200 yeah. albums and then do the reviews that way. So a couple lessons learned from the first time around, but um, it, you know, it's very interesting when people read the book and, and tell me, well, you missed a couple. Okay. Well, what did, I, what did I miss? You know? And so, you know, then they'll sit there and tell me, they'll mention the stuff and I'll say, you know what? That's a, that's a good one. I, you know, I didn't even think about that. And that's really, when you look at it um, in, in another story, when, the, when, I had completely finished writing the book. I did the rest of the editing. Everything was 
to where I thought I was good. And again, I had different hands, people reading it, editing it. And, you know, we probably did it six, seven, eight times. I finally put it down. Had a friend of mine. I went over. I'm, I'm hanging out. I'm hanging out with this. My one friend, his name's Wayne Gonzalez. Wayne goes to me and says, hey, you know what song I just heard on the radio? And he tells me that he tells me the song and he tells me the band. And right away, I'm like, I'm cringing. He's like, what's the matter? I said, that's an album I would have, that's an album that would have made this book. But I was done. I was like, I can't do any more. Like, what do you, because after you've completed 200, now I've done all this work. What do I take, what do I take out to add that one? So, um, so, so, you know, and then come to find out that they're, you know, and I'm not really mentioning a lot of artists that are going into the second book, but, you know, then I started looking like, oh, I'm, I missed that one, and I missed that one. And, they, and some of these were some that should have been on the first one. When I had, I had a book where I would write all these different artists or these different artists and the albums, and I had clearly missed two that I definitely felt would have been in the first book. But that gave me kind of the drive to say, you know what, we're going to do another one, and we're going to do a deeper dig. And that's, that's kind of where, like, other people's submissions and, – and one of the cool things also with this book and even with what I'm, what I'm doing right now is that I can go through a list. I can get your list and go through it, and I can go to Spotify – and, you know, that's the other cool thing about the book that I always tell people is that, you know, you can take this and go on YouTube, you know, read it and be in front of a computer or be in front of your iPad. And you can go to a Spotify or a YouTube and start looking for these albums or these songs and check stuff out at the same time, especially if you're not familiar with them, you know, because then yeah. you can sit there and, and go, hey, and that was kind of that was kind of the point with with this book. And. When and I, I, somewhere I lost my train of thought, Jerry. Excuse me there. But, <laughs> but um, but but what what I was what I was really trying to, to get at here is that you know there's the this the working title I have for the next book is a deeper dig, and and what I mean by that is and, and now now I got my thought back here, so I can go through your list and let's just say. You know, I'll throw Pat Benatar out there, for example. And let's say I'm just looking at Pat Benatar, and I'm going through her stuff. But I can go on Spotify, and they'll give me a bunch of other artists to look at. And then all of a sudden, I'll be like, well, who's that? Um, yeah. And then I'll go to that. And then so sometimes, so sometimes I may not pick an artist that I'm specifically looking at first, but then it's the artist that I get referred to that I look at that, draw, that draws my attention. And, yeah, you go down uh, a rabbit hole, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, you, you kind, yeah, and it, you know, and it's, and it's kind of a good thing because you kind of get absorbed into that whole. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, I have the band Information Society in in the book, and we yeah. all know that Information Society was a band that was known for um, uh, Pure Energy. That song, Pure Energy, from like the late yeah. '80s. Um, and they were clearly a dance pop band, kind of that new wave kind of thing. They're kind of like that in the late 80s. Um, but what most people don't know is that they were an industrial band like in the 90s, and they were playing like mm -hmm. industrial rock music. And I had no idea. And somehow I got 
I got into some of this industrial stuff that was making the book, like a ministry and some of the other ones that I was kind of listening to. And as I kept digging into stuff, all of a sudden information societies popping up. And that's when they had an album in 1997 called Don't Be Afraid. And I started listening to stuff and I'm going, this thing is like, and I actually put in there, Depeche Mode meets Orgy. It was kind of like in that kind of vein uh, as, as, a, as a mashup between those two bands. But it was clearly so not what they were 10 years before that I was intrigued. And, I was, and that's why I thought, man, this is something somebody needs to listen to. Because if you're not familiar with this, if you're not familiar with this band or you're only familiar with what this band did 10 years ago, you need to give you need to give this a listen. And there's a lot of there's a yeah. lot of bands that are like that make that make the book that that because they change up styles. Um, and sometimes that doesn't work. I mean, obviously the big the big one that's in here is um, music from the Elder from Kiss because everybody knows Kiss for being like this true like hard rock three chord you know just basically you know Kiss means keep it simple stupid as some people would say, but they wrote tremendous songs, and then they kind of at a point where they were kind of losing that popularity thing, and then they decided, hey, we're going to do a movie soundtrack for a movie that nobody ever sees, and, and we're also going to put an album out that's going to kind of make us sound like we're Pink Floyd. And, you know, most people really didn't get that because that's not Kiss, you know, but there's so many cool songs that are on it. And, you know, sometimes the best stuff is checking out bands that just want to step out of the box and just, you know, sometimes it's not, let's not be so predictable. Let's be unpredictable. And, and, and I think that's what happens when, uh, when Kiss releases The Elder. Yeah. Well, you know, um, there, like I said, there are 200 artists and, and albums in there. Um, you know, so my find in the book was Tinted Windows. That was that was the gem that stuck out. That was the one that was like, oh, I never heard them before. And I mean, it's it's kind of like a super group, and but it's just an amazing, uh, you know, project that was put together. I I thought it was one of the best. <laughs> so and you know, I I still continue to listen to it. Yeah, and 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 the fun and the thing is about that group. And again, you know, I have my my son is 22, my and I have a daughter that's 18, and you know they both are into music. And and my son, he his tastes are varied. He can go hard rock. He's kind of more into newer, modern rock stuff. But he always kind of picks out things that are kind of out of, um, you know, kind of not out of like not really on the radio kind of thing. Um, and Tinted Windows is one of those bands where he was, he was in the Fountains of Wayne. So as a kid, like, you know, they come out with Stacy's mom. And of course he loves that song as a, you know, as a, you know, as a 10 year old kid or whatever year that comes out. Um, but you know, he's kind of getting the music and that's a popular song and he's kind of into it. And so somehow in his liking Fountains of Wayne, he gets introduced to Tinted Windows and so I get introduced to Tinted Windows because on the same side, it's Bunny Carlos from Cheap Trick, and it's uh, James Eha from Smashing Pumpkins, who I also like. And, and then you also had um, Taylor Hansen, 
who was a vocalist for Hanson, and of course we all know Umbop. But this these four guys get together and put together this album that you know it's it's just great power pop music. Um, and you know this, the kind of a girl is kind of the big song that they have on there, but but they kind of go across the board, and it's a band that really if unless you were a, unless you were a real fan of all of those bands. It may be a band that just clearly just falls off falls off the radar, um, and and the sad thing about it is they were a super group, exactly what you said. So it's not even like, um, you know, that you know, they would be a band you would think would just get ignored. These were all known known members of bands and popular you know popular artists or at least at one time. Um, but sometimes those kind of those kind of albums just kind of just kind of fall by the fall by the wayside, which is unfortunate. But uh, I'm glad that that was one album that you had picked up in the book, and uh, and obviously you uh, became uh, a bigger fan of. Which you know uh, in the back of the book, which is which I also thought was kind of a cool thing, was all the different lists that I put together, and you know I had one where I you know said like ten bands that I became a fan of while I was writing the book. And, you know, I had mentioned Information Society, but, uh, you know, there were some other bands like uh, Robert Bradley's Blackwater Surprise, which uh, they were kind of more of a, a blues rock band, um, which I thought was very cool. I, I remember there was a song they had, Once Upon a Time, but I was like, I started listening to the rest, and that was the only song I knew. But when I went and listened to the rest of the album, I was blown away of the talent um, that uh, that they had. It was it was a very a great record uh and my son had introduced me to another band called the High Speed Scene. Um, they had a song called the I Rock Song, and they were kind of more like that, uh, like when Weezer got kind of big, and then there was all those bands like the, you know, there was the Harvey Dangers of the world and stuff. Um, you know, they, they they were kind of a band that kind of fell into that kind of mold, kind of like uh, you know, kind of like in that vein of Weezer. Um, but they were another band. Like when you listen to them, it's like man, you know, the, these guys really kind of Here's a record, and then nobody nobody paid attention to it, which which was a shame. Yeah, I know another one that you mentioned that I really loved that I forgot about until I read the book again, and and I had a couple of their um, CDs was Dread Zeppelin. I loved them, oh, and I Dread still Zeppelin. do now. Yeah. <laughs> you know the, the thing about Dread Zeppelin, and I, you know, and I I guess when when they first came out, I really didn't I really didn't understand it, and it was like. I wasn't a big fan. Of, I wasn't a big fan of Led Zeppelin or Elvis Presley. So the thought of merging both of them together really didn't make sense to me. And when they first came out, and I think the first time I ever saw like a video or heard a song was like on Beavis and Butthead when that was uh-huh. on, you know, on in the '90s. So I kind of like passed it off. But then, you know, it was another one where I just kind of, you know, was checking out some stuff and they kind of fell in my lap and you know the, the unleaded album that they put out in 1990 I'm starting to go through it and I'm sitting there going you know this is really you know and you don't know if they're like like one of the things I, I put in there like I don't know if it's a if it's a comedy record or if these guys are just genius combining two different styles of Elvis <laughs> meets Led Zeppelin and just making like this music that you know kind of has like this you know it's Two great, two great artists from two different eras. Oh, and we're going to mix it up and kind of put a little reggae spin on it, which, um, 
which definitely just like floors me now. And it was another band that kind of went on there that like now I became a fan of theirs, which, you know, it took me 20 something years uh, to, to, to do that. But, but uh, yeah, they finally won me over. So, so they made the book. <laughs> so um, recently, I mean, you were uh, vetting suggestions from, from people for albums that they thought that uh, should be included in, in the um next book um are you still looking or or, or have you closed um, off the i i have kind of put a a last call out there so on my on my facebook page um i did put out like a last call for people to send submissions because I've, I've been getting submissions probably for the last year um yeah. but i'm always i'm always looking for people to send me you know anything because I I will check it out, I will look at it, I will give it a listen, and you know, and then I make my own opinion. And you know, if I like it, and I already have 200, well, you know what? If I like it more than something else that I already have in the 200 list, then something's going to get something. Unfortunately, is going to get bounced. And and that's mm-hmm. the way I'm kind of looking at it right now. The one thing that I'm doing different with the new book when I start putting it together is that. Again, I'm trying to – the working title's a, di- a deeper dig, but what I'm trying to also do is kind of go into the 60s as well. So um, – and the reason why I had it, the underrated rock book, 1970 to 2015, was I was born in 1969. So I kind of looked at it with like where's my wheelhouse of understanding the music that I know? And – I capped it at 1970 because I figured I, I got a 45-year span. I figured 2015, if I start writing in 2016, by the time I'm done, you know, I, I have a couple years in here where then 2015 doesn't look as new when I release it. Um, so the expand, I'm expanding it, so I'm going to look for stuff more into the 60s. If people have them, I'll gladly give them a listen. And that also opens the window to like 2017, 2018 as well. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. So um, do you mind if I uh, if I do a, if I do a plug for anybody that wants to submit anything? Well, yeah, I, I was just going to um, ask you <laughs> yeah. where they could submit it and um, where they can actually find the book to buy it, and um, okay. where they can find you on social media. Okay. Uh, well, well, we'll go ahead and we'll do that run here first. Um, first of all, for anything regarding the Underrated Rock Book, you can go to underratedrockbook.com. Uh, when you go to that site, um, you will find links to, um, to the various locations that um, offer the book. Um, if you're looking for it on paperback, you can get it at uh, Amazon, Books A Million, uh, Schuler Books and Music, uh, Tattered Cover uh, Bookstore, they're all on the website. Primarily Amazon is where most people go. So obviously you can go to Amazon, you can click on the link at underratedrockbook.com, or you can just go to Amazon, type in Underrated Rock Book, and it'll take you there. Um, there's also an e-book uh, version or a Kindle version. Um, so you can get that also at Amazon, but it's also available at Barnes & Noble, uh, Apple Books and uh, Google Play. Um, 
if you want to check out, um, I have uh, my Facebook account, which is I'm always at. If you do a search in Facebook for Underrated Rock Book, uh, you can find me there. Um, also have a Twitter, which is uh, the uh, U Rock Book. So the letter U Rock Book. Um, so if you do uh, do a search for that, you'll find me on Twitter. Um, I have an Instagram. It's under Jim Santora. If you if you find me uh, on Instagram, uh, that's great too. Um, but if you're interested in sub making suggestions, uh, the best thing you can do is uh, send me something at contact at underratedrockbook.com. That's one way to do it. Um, or you can go to, uh, again, if you get on Facebook on the Underrated Rock Book page, um, you can always just type in a suggestion in there or post the videos. Like people sometimes post videos of certain songs and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, so that, that way that kind of triggers like, hey, Jim, check this out, and, uh, and, and we'll do that. So um, still not too late to make some submissions, but uh, the door will be closing at, at some point. Um, so uh, get those submissions in, and then I'll probably be, you know, depending on how quickly I move, but I, I hopefully I'll be moving faster than I did with the first book. Because uh, the first book took approximately about two years, and that was really because um, – Again, I didn't have all the all the albums in place. I'm kind of writing and I'm researching. And then, you know, also I wrote, I stopped. And then I went back and I wrote and I stopped. And so there was a lot of delays there. So hopefully if I do this new process, I'll be able to move a, a little bit quicker and, and get something out. Um, maybe end of 2020. Uh, I might be shooting, uh, shooting too high. Might be closer to 2021, but um, somewhere in that time we'll have the new one. But... Uh, still always promoting the uh, the first one. Uh, like I said, it's, we're celebrating its uh, first year. So, um, you know, it's, it's out of its diapers right now, I guess. <laughs> crawling around. <laughs> it's crawling. I think it's walking. I think it's actually started walking now. So, but, uh, but it's a great, but it's a great book. It's a, it's, it's a great book to, especially with Christmas coming, um, you know, definitely if you got any rocker, rocker friends that um and and really it's a book it the one cool thing and 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 sherry i'm sure when when you reviewed it you thought the same thing that you know there's not just there's not just one variety or one genre to focus on here we're, we're kind of all over the place with this book so if you are a if you are a fan of rock music in general uh which is you know everything from again it's 1970 to 2015 it's a combination of classic rock, hard rock, punk, industrial, metal, uh, modern rock, uh, blues rock, you know, you name it, um, folk rock. Um, it's kind of, it kind of runs the whole gamut, and, and that was kind of the purpose. It, it kind of for, you know, that person that really enjoys rock music and, you know, and, and enjoys listening to different styles, and, you know, again, it's a, it's a talking piece, so... Um, it's definitely one of those things where uh, you like stuff, you don't like stuff, uh, you want to talk about it with your friends or share the, you know, share the book with somebody. Uh, I mean, that's kind of the, uh, the whole purpose of it. And uh, hopefully pick, people pick it up and they enjoy it. And they, you know, one of the goals is if they actually find at least one artist that they um, find one new artist and find a few that they remembered it like, yeah, I remember that album. That was, that was a great album. I agree. Um, but even if you disagree, 
um, that's kind of the point. That's kind of the point too, and that was kind of the direction I kind of went because you know I don't want people to just agree with everything that's in here. We want people to disagree and say, no, you're wrong. That album was absolutely terrible. Um, you know, but that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the point too, because you're not every one of them, you know, like you had kind of said, like it, you know, people, if they could come up their own 200 list, they could, and their 200 list could be way different than what we put in these pages here. Yeah. Well, uh, Jim Santora, uh, thank you so much for joining me on, on Just Push Play. It was a great conversation, and I hope to have you on again at some point. Uh, Sherry, that'd talk. be great. I uh, really, really had a good time talking with you today about the, about the book. So, uh, yeah, anytime, uh, anytime you wanted to have me come back, I'd uh, be glad to do it. Okay, wonderful. Well, thanks to everyone for listening to Just Push Play, and have a great evening.